Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What's up, DBDL listeners? Happy New Year. As we roll into 2024 with episode one, I had the team prepare not only an extra special episode for you, but also we're going to follow it with a -a first-of-a-kind offer. So make sure to stick around for the full intro if you'd like to take advantage of it. First off, a thank you for the love and the support on the relaunch of this next chapter of the podcast. Whether you started listening into my first show, The Elite Advisor Blueprint, I launched way back in 2015, or you just started listening in to the Do Business, Do Life podcast, I'm super thankful for the support along the way. As less than a year in, we're already approaching 200 five-star reviews out on iTunes for the show. And thanks for those of you who took the time to leave the kind words. I read them all. And it really does help the show get found by other advisors out there we can help. With that in mind, now that we are almost 50 episodes in, we went back through all of our 2023 episodes and specifically the Triad Member Spotlight episodes and curated some of the top ideas shared, most meaningful moments, and top downloaded content to make this episode a best of episode jam-packed with ideas from some of the most successful independent financial advisors in the country. This group of 54 Triad Member offices were responsible for over $2 billion of assets gathered organically last year in 2023, just to put things in perspective. Which brings me to my second point and a potential opportunity if you're a financial advisor listening in out there. I have to apologize as I haven't always done the best job on this show of describing exactly what it takes to become a Triad Member. And it's a very certain criteria we look for to bring an office into our member community. In fact, In three years and over thousands of conversations with financial advisors our team has had, we currently sit at 54 members. So we've averaged adding less than 20 members a year to the community and have less than a 1% acceptance rate for those who express interest. Full transparency, by the way, this isn't an ego thing. In fact, it's the exact opposite. We want to protect the member experience. And rather than working with thousands and thousands of advisors and doing a little bit for each of them, we want to work with a select few and go very deep with them when helping them build and scale a business of significance that's generational and really build on something much bigger than just themselves, one that creates freedom to both do business and do life on their terms. So if you're still listening in, here are the three specific criteria we look for in advisors who are a fit for the community and the next step you can take to explore if Triad might be a fit for you. Number one, Triad advisors believe that fixed and fixed indexed annuities are an integral part of a retiree's portfolio when it comes to fixed income needs. Now, keep in mind, the vast majority also manage substantially more assets than they're doing. So this is not just an insurance-based community, but one that believes in a holistic financial planning approach for retirees. Triad works with the top 1% of advisors in this market who are producing north of $10 million annually in FIAs. We do this so we can work with less, as I said before, and do more for them. And this high minimum also helps us keep the community intimate so ideas can be shared more freely and openly among our members. Second criteria, we work with growth-minded advisors. We work with abundance mindset advisors who openly share and consider themselves lifelong learners who have never actually arrived. We often say we check our ego at the door as ego is really the enemy of growth. We pride ourselves in having a community of givers where each member adds value to the community 
versus a community of takers looking for what they can get from the community. Triad members who are grateful for us and we're grateful for them. And number three, if you've listened to this show before, you already know what it is. We want to do business with those we want to do life with. And one of the easiest ways I personally define that is would I invite you into my home to break bread with my family at our dinner table, whether or not we were doing business together at all. We want to add members to the community who make others around them better and enjoy life-changing experiences versus just you know another stuffy industry event in a forgettable hotel where the biggest highlight's probably an open bar. A good example, one of our experiences last year at our founders retreat in Lake Tahoe, not only did we bring in world-class business leaders like Simon Bowen to level up the visual models that our members share with their clients and prospects, we brought in Chris Smith to help better message why each of our members are the preeminent advisor in their market. But we also brought in former CrossFit Games champion Jason Kalipa, who led a full family workout each morning, and Henner Gracie, who taught jiu-jitsu classes in the morning, and Psalm to the Stars, Dylan Proctor, who led a private wine tasting experience. So really, we consider that the perfect balance of both doing business and doing life and creating a life-changing experience versus just another forgettable industry event. This is what we mean by DBDL. So if those three criteria resonate with you and you'd like to explore if Triad might be a fit, here's how to take the next step to schedule a 30-minute vision call with me personally. As we enter 2024 and a new year, I can't think of a better time to make sure that your current business model is aligned with what you want out of life. On this 30-minute Zoom, I will personally talk through your vision of where you are today and where you want to go and preview our custom approach that walks each of our member firms through crafting their vision in a way that's easy to communicate to their team and future hires. Also messaging how your firm is preeminent in your market, making it a one-of-one versus a one-of-many, and creating an identity that matches it so everywhere you market your firm, your brand is congruent and aligned no matter where your prospects hear or see your message. So with that, to reserve your spot, text the word VISION. That's V-I-S-I-O-N to 785-800-3235. That's the word VISION, V-I-S-I-O-N, to our DBDL Insider number, 785-800-3235. And I will be excited to connect with you and see if we may be able to help you build a business of significance. Keep in mind, that's your definition of significance versus ours. And with that, this episode is a great representation of the caliber of advisors, but more importantly, humans you'll be surrounding yourself with in our community. Enjoy the episode. Everything changes when you become a parent, all of those things. But the truth is everything does change when you become a parent. And now I'm so thankful because I was kind of like it was drilled into me at a young age, like, don't take this for granted. Don't miss sports games. Make family dinner a priority. All yep. of that. But I've also seen this business. It doesn't turn off. As amazing as finance it is, it's, it can eat you alive if you allow it to. And so if you were going to, like, let's just say you're talking to a dad out there, maybe share the white, the white tea story because that one hits home to me. Yeah. And you've got little ones. And if you can get, like, pass some of that wisdom down to that next generation or, like, guys that have kids our age where it's like, hey, it's never too late to change the path you're going down. But what advice would you give there on like that, how hard it was to balance you're building this business for them. But if it steals your time and you don't actually get to see them, yeah. it's like the worst trade-off in the world. So just speak to that if you don't mind. Absolutely. And for me, Brad, look, God made me this way. 
right? I'm a driven type A personality, drive, drive. So you have to be careful. I think you have to be really conscious of that because I was running hard and doing that seven days and that six and five and over time. But I had this, some of the justification of me working hard and doing that was justified. Oh, I'm doing this for family, right? I'm doing it for this family. And I, I'd say to myself when my kids were five and six and six and seven, because uh, my first two are 15 months apart that the young guy came later, about six, seven year gap. And I'd say, I'm grinding, grinding, grinding. Okay, they're four and five, five and six, six and seven. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to do this to the half point, which is when they hit eight mm. or nine, nine, because I say, okay, by first nine years, I'm going because then I've got nine years left with them in my home before off to school. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to build this business to what then the first night and then the next night will be a lot more timeshare justifying it that way. Well, I blink my eyes and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, you know, my son's 12, then he's 13. Then, then it went the other way. I'm like, wait, I only have three years left to write two and a half years left. So that shocked me because like you, I, I feel very, very fortunate and blessed that I had a lot of clients would share their wisdom. Anthony, it's going to go quick. Enjoy it. And it was like one year out the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. You felt like invincible. You had nothing but time. And then all of a sudden, your kids are 16, 15, got to the eye. So speaking to somebody who's doing it with the younger kids now, it's just uh, just force the balance. Force the balance. Just the business, if you structure it the right way, you don't have to be, the business isn't so reliant and dependent upon you. If you structure it the right way early and just make the time, make the balance. I think, Brad, that's probably part of the reason now why I've got a freshman and a sophomore and, you know, I've got whatever, really, if you you think about it, two to three summers left with my oldest before they're off to school. That's why I am taking the last couple of years, six weeks, eight weeks off in the Nantucket holidays, another two to four weeks. So I, I looked at it and there's basically three months out of the year that I'm family, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm, I'm making up for those early years. So, but uh, just get ahead of it and face it at a younger age. And yeah, that's my favorite part about your journey is you've grown business and unlocked more freedom for you and your family. I mean that, and I think that is the entrepreneurial dream is yes, build a business that serves your life Unfortunately, oftentimes you build a business that becomes your life yes. as an entrepreneur. Yes. As we think through, I want to go to that that last little piece you touched on. Well, we didn't hear the white tea. So white tea, yeah. Tell tell me that because I think that'll hit home with some people. Yeah. So early on, I ditched ties. Right. I'm like, ah, I don't want to tie. I I like this look and feel. It's you know, so meeting with clients, relaxed but still professional. Right. So no tie. So I wear a white V neck. T-shirt. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the way, anyone watching this, please, please, if you're if you're wearing dress shirts, don't wear the traditional white T-shirt. Then when you can <laughs> see it coming out, please don't do that. Right? I see. I'm like, oh, please stop. So early. <laughs> by the way, for those that don't know, based on the last name Pellegrino, Anthony's Italian. <laughs> has a dress in, impeccable from the day I've met him, and so you're getting some serious fashion tips here. So yeah, please. It, it, it's in the bloodline. Yeah. His grandfather, that was a, a truck driver, you know, he literally drove a truck and worked on docks, yet he dressed impeccably as well. People thought he was a mob boss. They like, he's not really a truck driver. No, he is, but that's how he dressed. So 
thin the blood. But I would wear a white V-neck T-shirt under, so you can't see it, right? Mm-hmm. And basically, my kids, if I was, get you know, in the morning when they were young, and I'm leaving, and they'd say, no, what? no, white T-shirt, white T-shirt, white T-shirt. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck they're talking about, right? And then when I come home from the office, the first thing they'd be is white T-shirt. Now I find myself on, let's say, a Sunday, right? I'm home after radio stuff. And I'd put on a Nike T-shirt, right? And my kids would say, no, 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 white T-shirt, white T-shirt. Brad, it didn't hit me till years later. Years later, I'm like, what the hell? What's their thing about the white T-shirt? Well, then it hit me. It's like son of a gun. The last thing they saw me wearing in mom home before I left, because I had my white T-shirt on, do stuff, then I'd throw on my dress shirt over it, leave. Mm-hmm. And when I come home, the first thing, when I get home, I take that off, and I see the white T-shirt. So to the hit me like son of a gun, to them little kids, that white T-shirt meant dad's the home. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the reasons I think that I've uh, I carve out the time. And again, now, incredibly blessed because I, I really, really get to spend a lot of time. I was telling you, it's a blessing and it occurs with hockey, but literally from Labor Day to second week of December, almost every weekend for three and a half months straight, I was in a different city with one of my boys and hockey tournaments everywhere, just tons of bonding time. And it's awesome. Being, being able to build a business that affords you opportunity to really connect and be with your your kids. And, and I've learned some great things from our community with Triad, the whole do business, do life. I had a text thread going this morning with one of the advisors, who uh, Chris Pullman sent me a text. And I shot back to him. Can I share? Yeah. You know so he sent me a message and basically saying, hey, man, we look forward to, to seeing you soon and talking. I appreciate some of the stuff we're doing. And, and I said to him, he, he thanked me for some stuff I did for him recently or shared with and I shot back and said, hey, listen, thank you for some of the things you've done for me. He, he had this part of his, for this year, says, our children get one shot at childhood. It's what we make of it for them. I want to be more present. So for me, it's not just about being in a business industry where we can have iron sharpen iron and get better and make more and produce more. It's, I want to be in an environment with like-minded people, maybe dads, similar thinking, family people. And I'm like, listen, some of the business stuff I helped you with is that you have any idea how that one thing you said, what you wrote down is stuck with me and resonated. And I'll remind myself of that. I mean, kids get one shot at childhood. It's what we make of it for them. Be more present. I mean, so that is the epitome of do business, do life. And what's cool about that, that was one of the champagne moments mm. from the, the So one of the things we did, and I don't even remember where this came to be, we were talking, so the champagne moment, that's whether you enjoy a glass of champagne or maybe it's sparkling grape juice, whatever your thing is, but something with bubbles that pops a cork, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a celebration. It sure is. And this year it was really cool. Like one of those pinch me moments to see our community both do a do business champagne moment which is great. Hey, we're running businesses. You should be going for growth and, it, yeah. and you know, we'll bring on more assets, growing the team, but not at the expense of life. And so we also did a do life champagne moment. And it was just some of the most inspiring stuff. We had a couple community members that 
they were they're going to drop sixty pounds this year. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. With what's all the money in the world matter if you don't have your health? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so it was super inspiring. I want to hit something because you're now talking a bit about the community. And one of the things that Triad we wanted to do, I don't want this to be a Triad commercial. This is just us us sharing life, right? Absolutely. But one of the things that we try to do really intentionally is obviously we're working with top performers, but growth-minded, do business, do life sort of people. I want our experiences. We don't do events. We do experiences because I want my kids hanging around guys like you. As my buddy Jim Shields says, family board meeting. Yeah. And I know we've both benefited from that. He says he tried to, to create environments for his children and for his family to where the fun uncle. Yeah. Like I will tell you, they, my kids hear a lot from dad to where there's the point of, oh, yeah, dad, we've heard that before. Yeah. But Anthony, the dude from Chicago, Nashville, you know, that's a yeah. good time. He's cool. He's wearing yeah. a nice Italian jacket. Probably some Ferragamas, you know, <laughs> and when you say something, by the way, it could be the exact same thing that I share with them, but it's like, oh, okay. Fun uncle, Anthony. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll do some pushups in the morning or, you know, I'll read yeah. that book. Totally. And that selfishly is one of like the coolest things about this community is just great. Not only advisors, top performers, but great humans. Yeah. That I just want to be around. And so for me, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. It feels like, oh, the founders retreat this summer in Lake Tahoe. That's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And our, by the way, our families will be there because as an entrepreneur, like it should be your choice. You know, do you want to bring your whole crew? Awesome. You want to just do a little getaway with your spouse? Cool. You want to do a business retreat? Cool. Come solo. But it's your choice. That's not like for us to define. Yes. And so I want to get to something you actually coined a term in our community. Yeah. It takes a village or a triad. We say it takes a pack. Well, yeah. And we run as a pack. Yes. So So I'm going to set this up, but I want you to share your um, kind of the mindset and what led to this. So we had, unfortunately, we had a a community member joined us, got put in a tough situation. He had to move $200 million of assets in a 60-day period, like literally repaper everybody. And it was really unfortunate. And kind of got thrown a little curveball on the way out the door. And Sean, I believe, called you. This was like dinner time, 6, 6.30 at night. Close. It was, <laughs> it, it was, it was almost worse. This was a Friday afternoon, and it was like 4.41 p.m. I had just picked the boys up from practice, after school at practice. I just picked them up. I had two of the three boys in the car. And literally, it's was 4.41 p.m. on, on a Friday. And he said, Hey, you know, we have a situation going on. Pfizer joined a team coming over with us and he's in a position with, uh, I think TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab. Yeah. Right. We're, we're in there kind of. It was in the merger, yeah, the squared in between yeah. merger where you couldn't get a direct sort of relationship or something. Yes. Basically, or TD was saying, Nope, you can't open any new RIAs on our platform. You have to go through Schwab. And that created a problem because that advisor, 210 billion, had his money with TD. Yeah. All his clients were through TD, but it was like through a different company, right? So they stopped. Nope, can't do it. So then Sean's like, what do you think? You think you can help? He knew that I had some relationships and contacts at TD Ameritrade Institutional. Great, great people, great relationships. And then, you know, it's Friday afternoon. And he's like, I don't know, we'll, we'll think about it and come up with a plan and we'll hit it next week. And I'm like, no, 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 
let's do this now. And he's like, now I'm like, yeah, let's do it now. And then, uh, and I, I, it just flew off tip my tongue. I said, uh, I, I say, I try it. We, we run as a pack and that got stuck, right? We, hey, we run as a pack. Let's do it. So we ended up, I called a guy in TD Ameritrade, one of relationships patched Sean and I run, we patched in the other person, the advisor and Zach. And then we worked it together and sure enough, they pushed it through and made it happen. Yeah. So he ended up being able to still open the new RIA through TD Ameritrade Institutional, not going through Schwab. They pushed that through and it saved them a ton of anguish to have to go back to all those clients. Sorry, you have to, you know, repay for over to Schwab. So, yeah, I just remember we felt pretty helpless because he was put in a tough spot. And I remember Sean, Sean's version of the story telling me I was on the call. But he basically said, hey, Anthony, so sorry. I know it's like getting into family time. And then immediately with zero hesitation, be like, hey, to try it, we run as a pack. And what that tell, I mean, if you're listening in, that number one tells you a ton about Anthony, just the way he carries himself. He's there to serve and there to help others. But that for us, I think, was a pivotal moment at Triad. I mean, this was, you know, over a year ago now. And it reinforced what we wanted to build, which was a community that felt a lot more small, intimate, boutique, a lot more like a mastermind than a brokerage firm, yeah. you know? And you said that. And then I, I noticed it became like a mantra in our in our headquarters in Lawrence. It was like, the tribe we run as a pack. It was like, it's almost like Mel Gibson, Braveheart, you know, riding around on a horse, flat the yeah. flag. And, but then it started to become a mantra when the advisors were talking to each other. Yes. And they started to feel like I'm part of something here and it's different. We're changing an industry. It's not just about production. We're, we're trying to build businesses that create more freedom. And, one of the things, as I looked, you mentioned the kind of award, the typical industry award ceremonies, parade across stage, here's how much production you did, next, all that. What I found is, is those things got really big. Like, I remember being at those. Yeah. And then people would be in the back and they're yawning. And they're like three or four hours. I'm like, well, let's never recreate this again. Yeah. Please. And I'm all for recognition. But what we did, and I'm going to give you credit, we said, hey, what if we created like really meaningful awards for our community that embody what we're about. And I'm super, uh, it was really cool. It was fun this year. We created the run as a pack award at Triad. We gave one away in January. You were the recipient. Zach was the recipient because it was a perfect example of somebody. Number one, you can't give help to somebody that doesn't ask. And Zach's like, Hey, I don't know what to do guys. Like I'm in over my head here and to have a community member like you raise your hand and say, Hey, I'm here to serve. How can I help at Triad be run as a pack? And we created this award. You each got one this year. But more importantly, you got a really cool T-shirt. T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You guys must have found that uh, somewhere, uh, I don't know, in like Sedona, it's in the, Arizona it's or somewhere, the, the wolf howling at. For those that remember the office where yeah. Dwight wears the the shirt with three wolves howling at the moon, it's the infamous Howl at the Moon t-shirt. It can be purchased on Amazon. It's got magical powers. Yes. Amazon probably brought $3.99, right? To, oh, it's, it's an expensive Come on. No, it's under it's 10 a, No, 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 no. They've cranked the price up. It, by the way, funny story to that. That evening that we received the award and I got the t-shirt, the infamous t-shirt, all signed, look, the t-shirt was missing. And very close friend to both of us, right? Derek Gregoire, all of a sudden, look, Derek went, stole the shirt 
changed and he had it under his sport coat. He's wearing it around thinking of that. He's like, I deserve the wolf t-shirt, the run is a pack award. So man, uh, the running joke that he's a war because we were supposed to be dressed club chic. Yes. And yeah, you know, growing up in Kansas, nobody, I don't know what it yeah. is still, yeah. but Derek pulled it off. I think he had a sport coat with a, a wolf t-shirt underneath. So that's my <laughs> new definition. Close, a stolen wolf t-shirt, you know, Hey, but you know, going back to something too, like, Yes, of course, I want to help. And that's the mindset. The The other part of that is, I don't know, I kind of, I grew up obsessed with, I grew up during the Michael Jordan era, mm-hmm. right, in Chicago. So I was obsessed with Jordan. And truth be told, I, I don't mind. I like being told no. <laughs> no, you can't do something. No, you can't achieve this. You can't. I like that. Jordan had a phenomenal commercial towards the end of his career where he... It's like slow motion. He's talking. He's like, tell me I'm bad. Tell me I'm no longer good enough. Tell me I'm old. And then they ask, he's saying that he jumps from the free throw line and dunks. And he's like 37 at that age or something. And he's like, tell me I'm too old. Like I can tell me I can no longer fly. I want you to. So I developed that mindset in, in business and in life where again, I'm going to figure out a way. Right. So. That's something else about me where I always, I, I need to, to feel challenged, mm-hmm. right? Like it being told, nope, you can't do it. No, you guys can't achieve this. No, you can't do that. That's what drives me. Some people here have 250 million in a, in a year of new assets and they think running themselves ragged, you know? Um, I think I have more time now than I did when we were doing 12 million a year. You know what I mean? 100%. Really, it's, it's because, you know, like Derek also said, what we did is we invested in our team, high quality players, and invested in the the parts of the team that we don't want to do or we don't like to do. And we focus on what we want to do and we really build our schedules that work for us when we want to do it. So not only we've we been able to grow the business, grow the clientele base, grow the assets under management, we've been able to grow our freedom and we've been able to grow our time with our families, which is the most important. Yeah. No, it's I mean, as you guys know at Triad, that's what we're all about. We we talk about do business, do life. It's really hard to do life if your business consumes your life, you know? And then it's like, I remember when I transitioned to, you know, I, I took uh, about three months off when I left my prior gig and I just, I just needed to like think and like I'd been grinding and, and I just thought about um, going forward what I wanted out of life and you can make all the money in the world. But if you miss your kids growing up, if you're not there for family dinners, if you're not able to, you know, coach a game, if you want to coach a game when you're 60 years old, cause I talked to guys that had, had built big businesses and sold them. And they're like, here's what I regret. I was so busy grinding, making that money. I missed everything that mattered. I'd pay all the money in the world to buy it back right now. And exactly. I didn't want to make that mistake, you know, and I know you guys don't either, which is why we've always connected on, on a really deep level. Um, but if you're listening in, I think here's, Here's a mindset shift for you. Growing your business is not a tug of war trade-off. It doesn't have to be, I should say. More business does not necessarily mean more time or more grind. Um, Michael Hyatt, we're going to be hanging out with them here in a couple of weeks, guys, down in Austin at the launch event. He's going to do a three-hour session with us. One of my favorite quotes he ever shared with me is, it's not a big enough dream if it doesn't require a team. And no business has ever scaled in the history of America or any other place without some form of a team. You know, the, the one man team doesn't exist in any sort of business of substance. 
And so I love what you're sharing there, guys. I couldn't align more with, you know, what we believe here at Triad. And, uh, you know, I call it instead of the either or, it's the and, you know, it's the and approach to life and business. I was going to say, Brad, that's what I love about Triad too, for a little plug for you guys is that like a lot of other firms that handle what you do, just focus on the main advisor. And that's impossible because when you have a team of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, how does one or two people that are the owners or advisors going to be able to relay that back to the teams, which I love, I love about you guys, how you kind of, you, you have the ability to get everyone together. So they know, like I notice our operations team is on a bunch of operations calls with all different offices from triad and they're learning and best yep. practices. CO, COOs are learning from each other. So uh, advisors that maybe aren't owners, but that work as advisors for the firms are all communicating with each other and planning up op- planning teams. So it's just, I love how you're able to help build the entire infrastructure, not just the, you know, pump up the head guy or the head girl who is running it because that's not going to really, you know, it, it helps, but it's impossible for yeah. that person to come back and relay everything to a team. So I love that aspect of like just building it from the foundation up across the board. I, I appreciate that, Derek. And it's actually one of the biggest fallacies I see in our industry. And I'm not taking any shots at anybody. I'm just observing what I've seen over the years. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our industry, because our industry is built on sales, you know, just like what we talked yeah. about your early days, reading the script, you know, here's the script to get the sale. And a lot of salespeople are high achievers. And, you know, it's built on the ego of here I am. And I get a parade across the stage and get recognized <laughs> as this amount of production. And then, you know, I talked to those guys when they got off the stage, like, dude, you guys are working this conversation. No, like yeah. I, I remember, I'll tell a real life story. If you, I mean, I didn't ask permission, so we can cut this out after if you're not cool with it. But I remember, no, I think okay. it was all right. Well, you haven't heard the story yet. Be careful. Maybe we'll change okay. your mind. <laughs> hey, characters in the story. We have Emily on here. If we need to edit this out after, but um, <laughs> so I think it was 2014 or 2015. Um, we were obviously you guys were my clients. We were doing a coaching call, and one of one of my kind of rhythms in coaching was. You know, we're right here at the beginning of the year recording this. It was kind of the the New Year's resolution for your business, the goal setting conversation. And you guys had oh, just I know hit this somewhere right around. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a real story. Going out. Help people. Yeah. So um, I think you had just hit right around 60 mil of new assets gathered the prior year, which was like a landmark year. I think you'd grown by 20 million over the prior year. Your business was not that big at the time, maybe team of 10. And uh we did a goal setting call and it was the three of you guys. I don't even know if we were on Zoom. I don't know if we had Zoom back then. But um, I said, hey guys, congrats, great year. What do you want to do next year? You guys remember what your answer was? 40? Was it 40? Like less. <laughs> yeah, it was less for sure. I remember it being 50. So I remember it okay. being 10 million uh, less than your prior year. And I'm like, I wish we hey guys, your business. Yeah, you, your business, your business, set your goals however you want them. But I'm like, I don't typically see groups that like set a goal lower than the prior year. Help me understand. Do uh, you guys remember like what you told me? Because I, I can sure oh. share my recollection. But Brad, it was more I can picture in, in traditional Brad fashion. Keith and Matt now he's like, well, guys, um, traditionally, you know, most firms don't go <laughs> backwards with their person. goals. And I'm just <laughs> thinking is, you know, what caused you to come to that conclusion that you wanted to do less next year? <laughs> we're in the, the white flag. Well, that sounds very, very proper. Yeah. And, and, and I, that's it's 
it's super inspiring. Tell me understand, guys. When you set, yeah, it's super inspiring to teams when you set goals less than the prior year. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is, we said the same thing. We said, you know what? We hit our goals and we hit, we made plenty of money. We did everything we wanted to do, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't mm-hmm. worth it. It wasn't worth the sacrifice mm-hmm. to hit those numbers to miss my kids' baseball games, to miss like my wife's Friday nights, being home late. So every, you know, every night we sometimes we just be. It's, it, we were just scrapping, like, grinding to hit these goals. We didn't have the right team in place. Everything was on our shoulders. So we're trying to get new business, answer client calls, email. Everything was on us. So we hadn't built the infrastructure uh, properly. And we were starting to, but that was the whole thing. And I remember other colleagues in the industry would always say, you don't want to do that crazy production because if you get to that point, you're never going to see your family again. I remember clearly a few people mm-hmm. that had been older than me had kind of guided me with that wrong belief of, you know, if I'm going to hit a hundred million or 200 million, I mean, I'll, I'll never even be able to breathe or travel or do anything or see my family because I'll be working. And that's the biggest myth there is if you set your business up the right way. So that's the whole thing, Brad. We just didn't want to, it wasn't worth, we didn't want to run it back. That makes sense. Like yeah. you go through a huge, like a big ordeal. You come out on top, you get to the top of the mountain. And it's like, you know what? That was, I'm glad we did it, but I'm never doing that again. Yeah. It's like running, it's like running that marathon. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I just got done with 26 yep. point two or whatever. Like, eh, I don't think I want to run that marathon again next Which, year. And, and that's I, what I, that's what I saw on your guys's, you know, that's what I remember, like hearing in your voices. Um, but I also, rem- I remember another like key piece of that conversation. It was the life side. It wasn't the business side. It was like, we 100%. sacrificed the life side last year, the, the time away from kids, missing family dinners in this pursuit of business and revenue and profit and recognition probably was a piece of it too, you know? And first off, what I love about you guys is you've always kind of kept things in perspective because it's really easy to lose perspective in this business and chase the wrong things. And I also remember that as a point, an inflection point in your business where a new door opened and we had a real conversation. I said, guys, it sounds like we need to start to, because you were three sales guys at the time. Let's just be honest. You were three great sales guys. Now you were building the best plans you could to help people. You were not business owners. No. And you technically you were, but you just weren't acting as, as a business owner would act. Right. And I think that's the, uh, the big thing I see a lot from very successful advisors. What got you, you're almost like a victim of your own success. What got you to that 20, 30, 40 million of new assets. And then you're running on that treadmill as fast as you can. And then the end of the year, you're completely exhausted and burned out. And you're like, man, I'm not sure I can do that again. If that's anybody listening at the end of the year, there is another way. And these guys are a great example of it because what they started to do, the three visionaries, the three founders, Vision, you invested in Michelle, who at the time was director of ops, has since grown into your COO. That was the execution piece, right? But you also deconstructed as an advisor, hey, there's actually a way to invest in the next generation. And what's really cool, it wasn't what I see create a lot of frustration for founders in this business where you hire some advisor and you throw them into appointments, you know, day one, you're like, oh, they can't close anybody. What the heck? What are they doing? We need to let them go. It was you truly invested in that next generation, a lot of shadowing, a lot of training, which by the way, takes time. But that was what opened the door. And the cool, this this has a happy ending to the story. We actually spent a lot of time deconstructing the three of your guys' day-to-day as advisors and how do we free up the service work that was eating you guys alive. 
how do we free up the planning? Because you guys were doing a ton of the work on actually building out. And you were doing like very little. It was taking away your time to do revenue producing sales, like face to face. So really the three, you know, we like triangles around here, sales, service, planning. We really started step one of removing the service work and the planning work to where all you guys had to do was build relationships and help people. And as that happened, you still did more the next year. Cause I remember you did grow the next year, but you started to also create more freedom to run a business and actually do the things as the business scale that it needed to do to take care of the people and get the right talent on the team. When I look at the numbers and brought in approximately 36 million of new assets last year, organically, you're not out buying firms or anything like that. Right. Uh, 36 million in a 10 month year in a massive transition where you just literally shuffled the whole deck and kind of started over from scratch in many aspects. That's stellar. So congrats on an incredible year last year. I want to make sure because I see the clock ticking by. You do some, you do a lot of incredible things. We just hit processes and kind of the systematizing of the sales process of all of the triad members. And we work with some incredible offices. One of the things that I've seen you do really, really uniquely and well is how you've incorporated books, writing books into your whole practice. It's, I, w- I wouldn't say it's like a marketing funnel. It's like woven in to the fabric of your company. So I'd like to pivot and talk about where in this journey did that come about? And give me the Dan Deverna version, like life before the book, life yeah. after the book. So what did that look like? Yeah. And so I think, uh, so my business coach liked the idea of me writing a book. I saw John Rulin who had this metal business card and I thought that was great. Yeah. So I hired a marketing company, find me cool business cards. They were going to cost like five bucks a pop. My business coach is back to me going, dude, write a book, $5 business cards. And it gives you credibility. It's better than any fancy business card. So I try to write a book on my own, realize I can barely spell, try to do it with dictation. I, I can't put things together. Finally, I hire this Ivy League guy. And this is awesome. Like this dude is great. Went to Columbia, great author. He spends some time with me over the phone. We get two chapters done. I give it to three people. I give it to my business coach for one. He comes back. He's like, God, you spent some money on this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Good deal. Huh? He's like, yeah. What'd you get an Ivy league guy? I'm like, yeah. Like, it's like, that must've cost you. Yep. Sure did. But it's good. You know, he's like, Hey, you want to know the problem? And I'm going to take out some of the swear words. But I said, no, like, what's the problem? He's like, it's well-written. He goes, but you're a hillbilly. And you can't have a hillbilly's book be written by an Ivy League guy. Yeah. (laughs) You need to find somebody that can capture your hillbilly voice. And I'll take it. Like, I grew up, like, out in farm country type stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was right. And that's the feedback I got from all three. So I found a guy who is local here and I would pace behind him while he's smoking cigarettes and drinking Jack and Coke. He's just typing away. And so we get done with this book and it it has my voice, right? Like it's, it's definitely me. And then we start to get into, so that was a guide to union workers retirement. And then what year was that, Dan? When did you write that? I would say that let's probably take that six years ago. Okay. Not that long ago. Wow. Okay. No, no, not really. And then we got the uh, the idea 
that like I was spending a lot of time in Vegas. And so we took the same book and we took the construction part off and we put the Las Vegas because they have very large unions out there. We put Las Vegas, like flashy Las Vegas stuff for the hospitality workers. Mm. And then we're like, so that was just the same book with a different cover. And then we took the next phase, which was, hey, we're working with a lot of medical professionals. How much could we get away with this book not rewriting and just taking it? And so my guy built that out. And so we have the same, like, I've written, I think, like six books. And there's at least 70% of this book is the exact same. Mm -hmm. He changes like medical professionals for union workers and the covers are obviously different and these subtle nuances, but everyone on my team knows not to, there's two books that if you turn to page 37, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> and my people know, don't give out those two. Like if you have a union worker and a medical professional, give out one. Like we're not giving both because they're going to see just too much of the same book. Right. So that was kind of how that started to happen. Well, a couple lessons I take from that. The first one, you don't have to write to write a book. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles or mindset blocks that a lot of financial advisors have. It's like, oh, I just, I'm trying to write it and I just can't write it. And, you know, there was the best selling book in the world ever. It's called the Bible. Jesus didn't write a word. He just said some stories that other people wrote down. So I I know there's a lot of companies these days that will actually scribe it, like what you're talking about, where you can kind of put it in your own words. Right, now, with that being said, I'm not recommending have somebody else write a book and then slap your name on it. And what you did was you took what was in Dan's brain and then put it on paper, but then also took that second step where you made it your voice as well, which is, I think, really, really important. Super important because if someone hears me speak, it it's the same words. It sounds like me. Like it's it's not this book written by somebody else. It is yep. it's definitely got my fingerprints all over it. And then we learned how to use the book. So for I would say the next three or four years, we didn't really know all the way how to use the book. Like we gave them out. Yeah. And I would say, Hey, how many do you want? You know, and I'd give them three or four books. And then it just seemed like nothing happened. And then it still feels cheesy to me to sign my books. Like, I got to be honest, still feels cheesy, but we've made it fun. Yeah. So I'll walk into the, I'll walk in, we've got the client. We'll do this in the very first meeting. It, we'll do it in any meeting, but the first meeting is when it seems like it's most effective for us. So I'll be, Sally will be sitting there and I will come in and I will say, Hey, Dan, nice to meet you. Did you get one of my books about, especially if they're in one of these niche markets? Mm-hmm. And I will sit there. And I will go, so you have any friends that should get one of these? And usually they'll be like kind of ho-humming. And, and then I'll say, well, what, you know, and I'll, I'll start, if they didn't get one, I'll write one to them. But usually they have had one or seen one or whatever. And then the second move is I will sit there with the pen or the marker right up against, like I'm getting ready to write. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, so who should I be writing this out to? This is extremely crucial. If I give Brad two books, I have to, if Brad's going to give one to Sean mm-hmm. and one to Jordan, I have to write their names in. I, I don't know why that's so important, but the delivery has gone up exponentially, like a hundredfold when we did that. 
So when I give you a book with Jordan's name in it, you give it to Jordan. For when sure. I get, when I give you a book with nothing in it or no specific name, I, I think they end up in the garbage can at the gas station. I don't yeah. know. But they get delivered. And I make light. So I, as I'm waiting for you to say Jordan, you get like I'm asking you for a referral. And then if I can reach them, and I usually find a way to reach them, I tap them on the shoulder and I go, hey, I'm not selling you books. My mom's the only one that paid full price for this thing. Right. And, you know, maybe the only one that read it. Ha, ha, ha. Now we're all good. Was that, did you say Jordan? Is that who we're writing it out to? And I have found when we're tracking it, if I give out two books, I get one new person from those two books. Hold on. Stop there. If you, okay, so Brad comes in. Let's just use that exact example. My two friends, Sean and Jordan, you give me two books. You write each of their names to Sean, to Jordan. I now retire well, TJ Devern. So I walk out with two books, maybe three, if one's my own. And you have found if I walk out with two books for friends, one of those becomes a client. That's your ratio. Wow. So. The question is, how do you give out more books? The gift of an EA. I remember I was in a mastermind with Michael Hyatt. And those that have listened to the show, you know how big of a... I mean, he, he literally changed my life. And I don't say that in a cliche way. Like, just I, I joined his inner circle group in 2015, thinking I was joining for business. And 10x what I got out of life was, you know, from just my time with him, just one of the most important mentors in my life. But I remember one of the first sessions I was talking about all these challenges I had and, you know, I was running a, a sales team that was doing about a billion dollars of, of annuity business at the time. And those advisors were probably doing billion to two billion of AUM, depending on their mix. So it was, you know, we had a team of six and I just remember saying, I'm drowning in my inbox. I cannot keep up with the emails coming in. I'm missing important things that matter because I've got these work things popping up on my calendar. And then I forget my oldest has a baseball game or football game or whatever season we were in. And by the way, I can't keep track of, I'm supposed to be booking this flight for that, this hotel for that. And Michael's like, sounds like you need an EA. And my answer was, what's an EA? I didn't even know, you know, it's like, what's an EA? Oh, an executive assistant. And um, immediately implemented that. But I think what's, what's the biggest aha for me is, is very successful financial advisors, founders like yourself, your most finite resource is not money. Time. It's time. And if you don't have somebody to protect your time, then you're basically subject to just being blown around, you know, like, like a tumbleweed in the wind. And the moment I started to implement that, and I completely agree, this is not an overnight snap your fingers fix because it's such an intimate role. Like for me, it is a do business, do life integration role. It's like the overlap of those two. And I believe that's kind of very similar to how you've used it as well. And obviously that's a, as you get more comfortable with that individual, you can kind of incorporate more of the life side as from my experience. But that was an absolute game changer for me. And if I was ever, I would not be able to do business and do life today without Brooke, who really, I, I joke with her. I'm like, Brooke, you make my marriage better. And Sarah would say the same thing because I'm actually yeah. showing up present where I'm supposed to be. What, what are just like, if you're an advisor out there, Clayton, what advice would you give to an advisor? That's like, man, I need help with all of this stuff, but I'm, it's kind of, it's a very vulnerable, like, because that for somebody to do that job, they have to be like in your inbox and there could be some 
confidential stuff in there, some intimate stuff. And I, I think that scares a lot of advisors away. But if you were going to give advice to an advisor out there, that's like, man, I think I might need this role, but I'm just kind of scared. I'm not really sure like how I would start the process. What, what would you share with them? I think the first thing that I think about that I think this is so important, like tradition would say that you would think of an executive assistant as like a superiority inferiority relationship. Do not make it that way at all. This is a partner, so to speak, yeah. that you're bringing into the yeah. most intimate levels of your, of your life. Like treat them like that and show them gratitude for the impact that they're having on your life. Like the way that you speak about Brooke is totally a great example of that, right? It's like, I, it made my marriage better. It made my life better. I could not do what I do without Brooke, right? And just like me, I could not do what I do without Ashley or what Alicia used to do. Ashley is now learning to do. I can't do that stuff without them, right? Like I I just can't operate. We cannot operate at that level um, without some of those roles being taken care of and addressed. So it is not a, it's like a, Hey, you know, whatever I need you to do, you're going to do like Ashley or Alicia or Brooke will take things off your plate and make your life way easier. But think of them as a partner. Don't think of them as a, as an, like an, an assistant, right. And it's like, Hey, whatever you need, you're just going to throw stuff at them. Have there be a much more um, level of respect and make sure that they know the impact that they're having in your day-to-day, but like, tell them, thank you. Um, show them the gratitude. Um, I think that that's, that's a really, really important part. Cause if not, they're not going to feel valued, right? Even though they're having this huge impact on it, if you don't tell them, if you don't show them that, and if you're treating them, you know, um, not treating them that way, they're not going to feel valued. They're not going to love their job. They're not going to like, you know, doing those things or feeling like they're making a difference for you. And they're probably not going to stick around. Right. So, so Clayton, I love that advice. Couldn't agree more. The interesting thing we talked about Enneagram earlier, it's eerie. Almost all of our, what I would call kind of servant leadership sort of roles inside of triad have just attracted Enneagram twos, which, so for those unfamiliar, the Enneagram two is a helper. One of their things that powers them up is serving others. And to Clayton's point, one of my biggest resistances to an EA was like feeling like, Hey, step this appointment for me. And by the way, I would never say that. Um, a couple of things, words matter. I don't ever refer, or I try not to, I'm sure I've messed this up along the way, but I don't ever refer to Brooke as my executive assistant or my assistant. I say, Hey, can you check with Brooke on the team? She helps organize and run the calendar. Um, and she'll take care of that. So it's never, uh, this person's below me. Michael Hyatt taught me this on his org chart. Jim, who's a rock star EA is side by side with him. So it's a C the reason it's called an executive assistant. It's like a C-suite level. Yeah. It's this is, this is not an entry level position. This is a, they are literally beside you and back to Clayton talking about a seven. One of the, one of the strengths of a seven is we love to get visionary and here's the future and all the cool stuff we could be doing. One of the downsides of a seven is typically we're not great at like follow through and like check the, here's the five to do's we need to do. I'm not saying that's every Enneagram seven, but that's pretty standard. And so to have a EA next to you in that meeting and say, Hey, action item one, two, three, by the way, I'll empower this team member to do this and that, but it is a side by side. And the team needs to view it that way too, of like, you know, and a lot of times Brooke will kind of hold my place. uh, You know, if I'm not able to be in a meeting or something, she'll grab the action items and make sure she's feeding those back to me. 
So I, I couldn't agree more in that back to that servant-based leadership. If you're taking tests, Enneagram two sort of personalities, and I always tell Brooke, I'm like, you're just one of the most servant-hearted leaders that I know. And she, and she loves that. Like that, that powers her up. So um, it was, exactly. was Alicia too, by chance? She's a two. And so is Ashley. They love to help, but they also respond very, very well to gratitude and praise. Like they, they love to help and they love to feel loved in return. Like that's the, it's the warm, fuzzy blanket on both sides for them. I pulled up your website and I see some of the language on here. We lead and empower our clients to achieve beyond what they thought possible in retirement because they deserve it. I believe that came directly out of kind of the Chris Smith, the brand manifesto work. Is that correct? Yes, it did. And how, how does that get embedded into the conversation in a first visit, in a seminar? And how has that changed the conversation when you lead with something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So that something that we haven't talked about that is really hard to contend with is the way that these potential clients have been trained to think. Because all these things we're talking about like, have all been weaponized by advisors to subscribe to their sales process. The word mm-hmm. fiduciary has been weaponized. The word fee-only. Yes. And so all these clients, and I think it was, uh, was it Kyle Van Pelt? He did a great job of talking about the evolution of some of these sales process. So I think what that language does in these meetings is it disarms those people. It's like, hey, I totally understand that you've been trained to think that this is the most important thing to solve with the financial advisor. But let's get back to basics for a second. This is about you and living your life. Like, let me tell you what you deserve out of a financial advisor. And they're like, oh, okay. So, and even just saying like, hey, we're, we're passionate about doing the right thing for people. We're passionate about getting information out. Hey, even if we never talk again or you know, you just absorb our newsletter or our blogs and that is beneficial to your life. Or if we give you great advice in this hour and vision meeting and you get to take that and change the rest of your course, hey, so be it. It's disarming to people. They're like, whoa, I felt no pressure. I felt no sales. I just sat in front of a person that had nothing in mind but my true best interest and it wasn't weaponized to talk smack about all the other advisors out there. That's super disarming. So we started implementing that language into workshops and seminars almost immediately. At the beginning of every seminar or workshop, we do, by the way, Vantage Point, home of the six worlds, not five worlds. At the beginning of all of our presentations, we start with, at least in our Chicago office, we start with a presentation of the six worlds and we kind of inject that language right away. Like, hey, having this done right and in your best interest is the way to make your money work harder for you than it's ever worked before. And it's a way to make sure that you live a life and a retirement beyond what you thought possible. Like you deserve this. And I want you to really think and stop for a second and consider if, is this something that you already do on your own or with an advisor? And if it's not, then you truly need to start exploring whether or not you could benefit from this. And then it like, since we started doing that, we have people come up to us on the break of these presentations, which by the way, we're doing a lot of presentations through nonprofits and we're not allowed to sell. So we cannot make a pitch on our services at these things. And we make that clear. People come up to us at the break and they're like, hey, so I want to be respectful of the fact that 
this is through a nonprofit and you're not selling, but like, how soon can we talk about working together? Because that's what I'm interested in. And I'm telling you, like, that's the only thing we changed is injecting that language and having an authentic message. And it's like, people are knocking on our door now instead of us like trying to find an in to talk to them about our services. It's incredible. Tell you what, man, if I can add another gem to how you guys have helped us, you guys have dealt, helped us with office conflict like surgeons. Because before I was never calm and confident. I would just come in like a wrecking ball and just the result was always bad versus, you know, you guys actually gave us a framework, which now we just finished up all of our reviews and our reviews are like the team's looking forward to them because it's so positive and it's, you know, open and honest feedback. And, you know, where do you want to be in six months? If you, if we could change anything or how do you want to advance in the company? I would just say, you know, communicating the leaders are aligned and then you communicate at a high level with your team and and provide them with feedback. Then I think just that alone is going to help you build an amazing business that you will be proud of and um, just love to come to work every day. If that's kind of, you know, what your goals are. I remember that conversation driving home. I I don't remember what was happening that night. I just remember (laughs) I was, I was pulling into Silver Lake High School's parking lot. So it could have been one of Sarah's volleyball games. And we were on uh, all three of us on a call. And oftentimes the the cool thing with clarity, when you have a a unknown, then it's all these anxieties pop up. And of of course, like this, that's been one of my biggest learnings as an entrepreneur. I ran a small sales team in my prior life. I had zero drama for, I mean, a decade and a half. I mean, I'm sure there were a couple little mini ones, but I was like zero drama. And then you exponentially increase. We have almost 60 team members now here at Triad. Like more people means more interactions, more different personality types. And guess what? That comes sometimes with conflict as all humans have. And so one of the things I've just learned to embrace is it's just part of what you signed up for as an entrepreneur. But now what are the frameworks for clear communication where you can lean in, have tough conversations, but back to being authentic and real, that's what team members want too. You know, they want real, they want authentic. And what I've found is when you just lean in and you have the proper framework, that's honestly to help them see blind spots they might not realize, level up, grow professionally and personally, potentially. It actually doesn't have to be this ugly, dreaded review that like all this no. corporate politics of making crap up that nobody believes. It can actually be a real human conversation. And who doesn't want that in their career? And so I just remember that conversation. Testament to you once again, like at Triad, we didn't want to create BS awards that at the end of the year parade across the stage and get recognized for, you know, whatever. So we created this year a scholar of the year award. And the two of you are the benefactors. And it's so clear after this conversation why. <laughs> like you listen, you put in the work, you study it, and the results show. And it's just so awesome to hear. And I just wanna I just wanna give you all a public shout out that yes, I appreciate all the love and the frameworks, but guess what? There's a lot of advisors in my career as long as I've been doing this. They got many of the same frameworks that you're sharing, but they didn't put them into action. Um, They didn't do the hard work. They didn't lean in. And so uh, 
testament to you all. And it's, it's awesome. Like, this is like the most fun I have because it's just like the most amazing vibe of like great humans get together that want to level up in business and life. And like, let's go like, you know, we'll, we'll all figure it out together. Oftentimes there's this gap of what gets sold versus the people that actually have to follow through the ops. And honestly, sometimes how they get treated by maybe not so nice people you all have done a really cool job as you laid out the vision, said, here's what we're about and here's what sort of clients we serve, how you actually kind of like hold the line or have a standard there. Triad, uh, and I'll share maybe a story if we have time a little later, we want to be very true to our mission and what we're about as well. But let's talk about what happens when there's a not right fit client. I don't like the word fired because I think there's ego tied to that. Of like, I fired them. We're, we just call it transitioning. Like, hey, maybe this partnership wasn't meant to be in the first place. No fault. But let's just maybe you need to go somewhere else that's a better fit for you. And we're going to hold the line of who's a fit for us. And we don't believe this to be the right partnership. How do you navigate that on the op side? Because I'm sure you've had a few of those, maybe some of those early clients that weren't the, the best long-term fit. Yeah, it's, you know, and and I would say we do a really good job with that here in our first meeting, you know, having that conversation as we're trying to see if there's any connection, we call it the connection meeting. It's, is there a connection here? And and the guys, if they're not vibing with the client or the client just doesn't seem open-minded, they'll have no problem not really forcing the second meeting. They'll just be like, you know what? we're good. So it's like, we don't need, we don't push the second meeting, I should say, if we don't need to, but, you know, I think they do do a good job in their verbiage. And I think we do a good job training, you know, Chase on our team. He's, he's been on the advisory solutions team. He's now becoming a producing advisor, which is so exciting to watch. And I even saw him doing it the other day. He had a, he had someone come in and they were just like wild, you know, and he's like, I just don't know it's going to be a good fit. Um, And he kind of just like, he identified it, you know? And so, so we're all talking that language, but there have been times, um, I have one instance that I'm thinking of that Derek had a client that was just talking poorly to Laura on his team, you know, whether it be through email or on the phone, just a little aggressive, you know, and he called him out on it and said, you know, we just, we don't treat our team like that. So if it's not a good fit, we have no problem parting ways. That's like our language, you know, transitioning is a great language too, that you just mentioned, but we have no problem saying that it has to be a good fit. We just had a boat cruise on Tuesday night this week in Boston. We rented a big boat and had 200 clients on it, our top clients, just to thank them. And it's funny, the feedback we've been getting is great. But one woman, um, I think she's on Derek's team, she's a client of ours, wrote to us yesterday and said, you know, sorry for the delay. I just want to let you know we had the best time. And I saw all of my friends on the boat that I've met at previous um, experiences. So the fact that we're building this community of clients that are friends with clients and team members, like we just can't let that impact that culture that we have with our internal and external culture, you know? So, so we have to have those conversations. It's just very important to us. Our clients are like, are like family to us. You know, they're like my grandparents or whatever, you know, they're just families. We just don't allow it. And luckily we don't have a lot of it to be quite frank. Uh, I think because the language in the first appointment, it really, you know, solidifies. Keith had somebody come in recently from Cape Cod who was just a very stern person in the first meeting, um, didn't really push it. And Keith just kept going. And and then he's just like, I don't I don't want to work with them. So, like, he'll choose not to follow up as, as much as he might with another first appointment or something. But that's very important. To- yeah, I think there's there's a couple things there that you hit. First off, back to your team. One of the learnings that I've had over a few years now in business is if 
as a founder or as an executive at SHP, if you actually move the client above the team, you will not keep and retain great talent because that's really easy to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember one time that like, I'm like, honestly, like probably a little still scarred from where I was asked like, Hey, what's my opinion on this client? I'm like, not a good fit. And I had many real examples, not emotional examples, but like X, Y, Z, not a good fit. And I remember my leadership at the time was like, well, we're going to bring them on anyway. And then immediately I knew where I stood on the priority stack. Right. And there was a choice of revenue over team and the people that help you actually serve the client. And I believe it to be very true that team should always come above client. Not that we shouldn't have a heart to serve client and take care of them and follow through on our promises. But if we don't have a great team, we can't deliver on serving the client. Right. And so if you mix that around, you're not going to have a great team because they're going to know like, well, what I say here doesn't matter or, you know, I'm not like poured into and there's like higher priorities on the list than me. And so I love that stance of like standing for your team. I think that's huge. The second one that I love that you hit is how now, and by the way, let's get to the referrals because this is really fun. These two tie together. You've got a community you've created of clients that you're serving at a high level. So you're following through on those promises and they're good humans that you want to create fun experiences for like Harbor Cruises. And I know you guys do a ton of different things to pour into the, to your clients. And now your clients are like, these are some of the best relationships I have as other SHP clients. And guess what leads to referrals? Do people talk about that? At what percentage of your business last year came from referrals? Yeah, certainly 32% last year. And I would say we're on target. I would, I mean, right now we're at 33 as of Q2 and I'm about to close Q3. I'm confident it will be in the forties, if not even more. I mean, it's, it's just insane. We had a client right to yesterday too. Mallory reminded or talked to Mallory and said, everybody on this boat, (laughs) like they're all happy. They're just all happy people. And it's like, we do business with happy people. We want to be with people that we want to be with. You know, that it's just so. Yeah. And by the way, that's fun. We're on a podcast called Do Business, Do Life. That's really fun when those two come together. So what was your actual number 20? So we're recording in 2023, 2022. What was the total assets that the firm gathered? Yeah, we had uh, 255, I believe, 255. Okay, so I'm just going to do this quick math. So 81.6 mil-ish last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. came from referrals. And I know you also drove a ton of business from existing clients too that, you know, had more yeah. money come in, you know, 401ks rolling over, all that sort of stuff. And so I think oftentimes we forget in this business, obviously we're in a very marketing-driven business. Mm-hmm. You forget if you just like love on your clients and actually follow through on the stuff you say you're going to do and serve them at a high level your clients become your own marketing. So I love that. One of the things, and I'm just going to stay on this topic because you've always struck me. I've been a lot of, around a lot of top performers. And for context, for those that aren't familiar with Tom, like when you say top performer, like the number one producer at one of the top insurance carriers in the entire world last year. And so one, one of the just absolute top performers. And what I love is it's like he comes from a place of serving, not just like selling. It's like, hey, how can we protect people's retirements? And you've always, I've met a lot of top performers that unfortunately they, they didn't have a lot of gratitude. There was maybe a lot of ego. And you've been the most humble, giving person in our community. 
and you have this concept of the the open hands. I'd love for you because it's. I feel like it's a mindset for you. It's like a philosophy of how you live your life, and I'd love for you to just share your thoughts on that. Well, I learned this uh, a long time ago. You know, growing up in a, a Bible based Christian church, and one of the biggest concepts that I struggled with and didn't understand was tithing, and it just didn't make sense to me how I could give away money. And in doing so, be increased. Just couldn't make that connection. And what I noticed is so many people, not just in our business, but in the world, they operate with a closed fist. They're not givers at all. And and they're just tight. And they want to bring people into their organization and pay them as little as possible. And our philosophy is the exact opposite. And here's what I know. If you have an open hand and you're a free giver, Because you're open to give, that also allows you to be open to receive. And what I have found, and you've heard this a million times, the more you give, the more you get. Well, that doesn't become a reality until you actually practice and walk that. And that was hard for me because, A, I was broke. I didn't have the money to give. But what I have found is the more I give people, the more I empower people, the more I help people, whether that's employees, teammates, clients, it comes back not twofold, but it's tenfold. And I would just encourage people to understand that concept. And and I tell people, look, if you walk into a dark room, the room remains dark. All you have to do is flip the switch and the lights go on. If you're living in fear and you're driven by greed and you've got a tight fist and you're closed off and you're not a giver, all you have to do is open your hand and become a giver. And the light switch goes on, and now you have set yourself up to receive all of the blessings that are available to you. Yeah. What's cool is I, I try to live my life that same way, and I've definitely screwed that up over the years. I've never like held true to that, but I just love surrounding myself with people that, that are givers, not takers. And we've all been in a room of takers. That's no fun. A room full of givers, it's like it's the exponential effect. Like Everybody gets better in that room. And I think so I just human, human nature, we're all about ourselves and taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. and protecting ourselves. And that's just, I think, how most people are wired. But if you can get past that natural into the supernatural, not to get too weird on you, mm-hmm. it's change. And they can change very, very quickly. But I attribute maybe 100% of what's happening in our life and our business just to that philosophy of freely giving, no strings attached. Um, you know, there's all sorts of examples of that. People will call you. They'll ask you to, to borrow money or do things. And listen, we don't, we don't lend money to friends. If someone needs money, we give that to them. No strings attached. And I'll give you a quick story. So my now COO, her name is Amber. Amber is awesome. When Amber came to Jacobs Financial, she started out as our receptionist. And Amber was really struggling financially. And she was driving a car that I can't even believe could drive up and down the road. It was just awful. And today she's gone from our receptionist to the COO of our company. Because I trusted her and gave to her and just opened up to her, it has come back to me tenfold. So I'm sitting here in my condo in Florida and Amber is back in Granville, Michigan, running my business. There's an example. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. That's a true, genuine story that kind of helps people understand where we're at. You shared a really cool story, younger Wayne, 
and your wife yeah. may. And yeah. I think it's a perfect foundation to today's conversation. So if you don't mind, would you share that advice that May was given from a mentor that then really impacted your trajectory? Yeah, and it's interesting. I just actually just posted something on social media, I think yesterday or the day before, where it was talking about uh, people who who sponsor others. And uh, I was talking about, you know, for and, and it was the idea of taking your spouse along with you was what the TikTok or, or our Instagram video was about. But for us, May was the first one to be self-employed. May was the first one to have a mentor. May was the first one to start reading personal development and, and, and business development books. May was the first, May, first one to have a vision board or a vision list of uh, a list of goals, things like that. I had tripped into the financial planning world, which in, in really a sales role, uh, working for a, an insurance broker dealer. So selling insurance, carrying a business card that said financial advisor on it. And, uh, you know, really, you know, if you happen to pick up some assets under management by accident, okay, we'll take it. But primary thing they were measuring you for, for was how much in uh, insurance were you selling? And May started, uh, got involved in this network marketing organization, Herbalife, which is still around. It's weight loss, yeah. you know, nutritional supplements, you know, protein shakes, that kind of stuff. And uh, I ended up in Kansas City with her at an Herbalife training. And we ended up in the suite with this guy who's like two or three layers above her in the organization. This guy's name is Brad Harris. And uh, Brad's got, you know, he's got 30 people there. And Brad's like a former airplane mechanic who's now making, at that time, 25 years ago, he was making half a million dollars a year selling Herbalife. You know, he, so he's kind of got this team that's been built under him. We happen uh, upon this uh, this meeting in his suite, and he comes up and he just he just pulls me aside, and uh, this is. I'm not on the team. I'm not part of the business. You know, my wife's there. I'm kind of an add-on. I'm hoping, you know, maybe I can find a couple of people to sell insurance to while I'm here. Brad makes a half million bucks a year. Maybe he needs some whole life life insurance or something like that. And, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to maybe get a couple of, you know, a couple of business leads or something. And Brad pulls me aside and just says, Hey, Wayne, I just want to, you know, I, I wanted to share, share with you that I've got a lot of respect for your wife. I spent some time with her. If she stays with this business, she could go a really long way. She could be really, really successful. There's no reason she couldn't be where I am down the road. But you and I kind of have a shared faith, a shared Christian faith and, and that kind of thing. And I just wanted to counsel you that in the context of our faith, you know, we're encouraged to not be unequally yoked. And the idea in the, in the context of faith is don't marry someone who has a different faith because the war for the house is going to start in the church. And, uh, you know, how do you raise the kids and those kinds of things? And so when you're raised in a, in a, in one faith, that's kind of, that's kind of a repetitive thing that's taught. But, uh, Brad said, you know, I'm just concerned that um, I'm asking your wife to commit to read 50 books a year. And what I can tell you definitively is that three years from now, if your wife reads 50 books a year, and you don't read any of the same books, you will be unequally yoked with this woman. She's going to be a fundamentally different person because of the books that she's read and because of the person that she's become. And we see it in Herbalife all the time. Again, Brad speaking, we see it in Herbalife all the time where one spouse is growing and the other one isn't. And growing in capacity, growing in vision, growing in mission and purpose. And the other one's not growing and not keeping up. And so he said, you know, ultimately marriages blow apart and it's not, it's not good for the business. So pragmatically, I want to protect the marriages, the people in my downline, because, 
you know, it's 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 good for my business if May's business does well. And so I want to challenge you. And he handed me a, a list of 50 books. He said, I want to challenge you to read the same books that I'm asking your wife to read. And I went out. I was at a point where I was kind of was frustrated with the sales environment, the culture I was functioning within. And so I started devouring those books. I read the, that 50 books, those 50 books faster than May did. She probably reads 20 to 30 books a year today. I still read 50 to 75 books a year today, uh, mostly listening these days. But that started what's now a quarter century long, just gorging on books and gorging on content to be able to continue to improve. But what's happened along the way is that May and I are on this journey together. Uh, we really are uh, growing together at every step along the way. And uh, I learned a couple of things in that session. First of all, I kept my wife. My marriage is stronger than it's ever been and continues to get stronger. We've been forged in the fires of building multiple businesses. Some have failed and some have made it. May's no longer in Herbalife. Uh, but, uh, you know, but the, the other really important thing was that, you know, Brad Harris didn't have to have that conversation. The idea of reaching back and sponsoring someone else. And he, he, Brad's one of two or three guys in my world who sponsored me at a point in my journey and poured into me and spoke life into me at a specific point in my journey that I literally wouldn't be here today. And, you know, part of the mission and mindset that May and I have is to live as stewards, stewards of the time that we've been given this side of the earth, this side of, uh, we would say, glory in the context of our uh, our faith, but the side of eternity. But we, so we want to be good stewards, but we want to be good stewards because of who the, the God that we serve, but we also want to be good stewards because other people have poured into us and, and we want to be good stewards of, of that investment and we want to be able to pour into others in the same way. One of the common themes ever since I've been in finance is how do I unlock this mystical thing called a referral stream from estate planning attorneys? And yeah. the cool thing is you can see both sides of that now as a financial advisor. If there's advisors listening, it's like, hey, here's how you crack the code to get a split estate planning attorney referrals. They'll listen. So we're going we're gonna to spend a little time on this. So from my experience, here's what I've seen. And then please correct me if you see it differently. So back to when you were an estate planning attorney and that was your sole source of revenue was the, uh, the attorney side of it. You had 24 different marketing funnels, which consisted of 24 different financial advisors that were sending you basically a one-way street of referrals. And you were really upfront. You're like, don't expect it coming back. But your, your value proposition is I'll do great legal work and I'll find some more assets where it's a win-win on both sides, right? So that makes complete sense to me. Would it be fair to say one of the reasons that you didn't send referrals the other way is because you didn't want to upset the 23 other guys, so you didn't want to bite the hand that feeds you, for lack exactly of a better right. term? Yep. Okay. And then what, what's interesting, though, is being the unicorn in estate planning attorney world, which is an estate planning attorney that actually markets on their own, not, you know, bolted on to some other financial services firm. Sure. From my experience, you actually were driving revenue through your own means. And like, if I look at our, our friends, SHP up in Boston, they found one of those guys that was actively just, you know, cranking and growing his business very aggressively. And he was doing his own marketing. And what he was missing is, Hey, I don't have a great financial 
advisor firm that builds holistic plans that actually does great financial planning, not just selling a product or capturing some AUM and moving on to the next one. And so that actually worked pretty well because with him, he was running his own revenue. So he didn't have to worry about, oh, I'm going to upset these 10 or 20 other advisors that I'm also getting referrals from. So back to you in estate planning attorney world, what would it have had to look like at the time if a financial advisor knocked on your door before you were one yourself, where it would have made sense to say, you know what, this might be the guy that I actually send referrals to. I think it would have taken two things. It's a good question because I I don't think I've ever been asked that or thought about it that way. And two things might have worked. And I will preface this by saying anything here that even smells of like, well, go talk to compliance, go talk to compliance, because there are layers to this. But one Mm -hmm. of them is there wasn't a single person that ever offered to cut me in at all. Mm. And I know that exists. In other words, in the BD world, you can give somebody up to a 20% solicitation fee without them being licensed and then have that agreement. If they are licensed, you can have a different split. In the insurance world, we can write things and then be able to, to split the commissions that way. But nobody ever offered that to me. So when I was looking at that situation, it was only the revenue that came from the referrals for legal work. There wasn't anything attached to it. So if I had somebody that said, well, listen, I'm going to cut you in, and here's a little bit extra, I would have been able to look at that and say, well, shoot, if I lose 23 others, but keep this one, turns out that I'll probably still be okay. And I like them. They're not a jerk. Why don't Mm -hmm. we do this? So there's that one layer off of it. The second layer is that they would have to have a volume where their new prospecting didn't depend on having other people like me. Because the flip side is true. As much as I was there having 23 other relationships, financial advisors, especially the new ones at the wirehouses, are taught to call on a guy like me and establish a relationship and make it be the only relationship that I would have with an advisor. Yet they're out in infidelity world having 12 or 15 of those because that's their method for prospecting. So the other component would say, but you got it. We've got this one-on-one relationship. I'm in, but you can't then be relying entirely on me for everything. Like you're, you're out marketing yourself, aren't you? You're, you're doing other things, right? Because that would have led me to have some confidence that they're going to be bringing in something that the cut that they're going to bring me in on the split, whatever that would have been, would have been something that they could sustain and not just do a one time with their existing client base and then never come back to it again. And I saw some of that. I mean, think, Brad, you know, if 24 were active, let's say that, and I'm making up a number because I certainly don't remember, but let's say that 15 or 18 of them had gone through 80 or 90% of their clients already with me. And so it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were constantly finding new ones because most of them didn't prospect well. Most of them didn't establish new relationships or grow their business or think about their financial advisory business as a business. They thought about it as a way to make a living and a quite a lucrative one, but they had to follow whatever the system was, either through the broker dealer or whoever was giving them advice about how to grow. But whatever that looked like, it was like churning through their existing client base. And it wasn't, they weren't thinking about growing or scaling. They never had that in their mind. And so it would have been difficult for me to agree with that. So for anyone that's listening off of it, if you want an exclusive relationship with somebody that can help you grow, like doing that, you either have to follow one of two paths or both of them. One is you got to figure out a way to keep them incentivized for you to be the exclusive place where that stuff goes. 
And then you also have to not rely on that or other people like them to be the only source of where you get that avenue of revenue. And I've seen that a little bit in my own practice because I think the like the the Rosetta Stone between them are CPAs. And as well as I have marketed with, with financial advisors back when I wasn't one or retail and building my business sort of meeting new people, I don't have a big bullpen of CPAs that I work with, probably a handful. And that's the relationship with them. I don't cut them in because most of them are not interested in that, but it's very exclusive that it's a, they're out prospecting other ways, but the CPAs that I work with are sending me clients all the time, sometimes because I am doing both parts of the work, the legal and the financial, and sometimes just because I do one better than the people that they know. But that's not a big bullpen for me any longer. And I don't rely on that to grow my business. I want good service from them and I get their best referrals when they come in. And similarly, they're not relying on on me off of it. We have a pretty good, decent relationship, but it's a handful of people. So I almost developed it like in contradiction to what was working with me with the mm-hmm. CPA side and the accountants that I have a relationship with. That's interesting. You nailed with your tips there, the ones I've seen work. So mm. To kind of break that down, if you look at like, it's almost like the Olympic rings, like three interlocking rings, right? You've got estate planning world, financial planning world, tax planning world, um, represented by estate planning attorneys, CPAs, financial advisors. And the first thing I heard you say is mutually exclusive, you know? So it's like, hey, let's let's not date around. Like if we're going to really do this for sure, let's let's have a true partnership. And also structured around the mutually beneficial side from a revenue producing standpoint, because I look at the flip side of that for a financial advisor. It's like, well, if you charge five grand for a a trust or estate planning, well, maybe with this partnership, you give them 20% off or their clients 20% off, 25% off. So now there's a win for a financial advisor because there's discounted fees in the partnership. And the flip side of that for you is, if I refer you a client that comes from my marketing and you do some sort of financial planning, there's a revenue share there, which is is very legal, assuming the, the insurance licensing's in place, you know, and, and right right in, in in the application. So it's almost like as long as each party is carrying their own weight, where they're actually driving new organic growth through their marketing efforts, and it's like this cross pollination where hey, everybody's pie can get bigger if yes. we share and serve the clients at a higher level, but also have some sort of financial incentive that also aligns there. And it's just, I mean, that's logical. That's not even that complicated. Totally true. And by extension, I think you'd agree with me on this is that in life, it never works when you overvalue your contributions and undervalue what you're receiving. So in that relationship, everyone's got to be really comfortable with the trade, right? Because it's, it's the moment you think, well, I bring more to this than they do that you start to grow the resentment and it kind of, it unravels from that. And I've seen that, I've seen that happen. I didn't develop relationships with financial advisors Mm -hmm. that were looking for me to reduce my fees. That's not how you win. You don't win with your client because you brought me down in my average fee and somehow I'm your boy. And that goes in there because that devalues what I do. It makes me buyable. I can be bought by the relationship. So we don't do that. We're going to keep my fees even with what I do out in the regular world. It's a sense of integrity if I charge your people just like they charge everything else because there is no back room anything. Everything's above board. And by the way, that means the same thing for you. 
I don't go in and say, do you know the cost of those mutual funds that they're putting you in and the rider fees on that variable annuity that they want to sell you? So I'm not going to then demonize what your recommendations are just the same way that you don't demonize what my fees and my recommendations are. And so I never really had a relationship with people where I had some form of a deal that I was giving them. Those people that wanted that didn't last or they weren't in the, just they weren't in the rotation for the people that I was meeting with. So I think there's I that ass- too, is you have to have a proper allocation of the, what you're contributing and what you're getting or fair one. I would assume it's, it's not, I would assume it's not legal for an attorney to share fees with the financial advisor. If they're That's not an correct. Attorney. Unless that, that correct? attorney, excuse okay. me, unless that financial advisor has a law degree and is in the practice <laughs> with very few exceptions and jurisdictions. There's some in Arizona. You cannot share legal fees with a non-lawyer. Okay. I had a feeling that was the case and I knew you would know. So cool. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for listening into this week's show. On to this week's featured review. It comes to us from user H. Franklin. They say five stars, a must listen for any FA. I've been following Brad since the beginning of his journey into podcasting. I can't overstate the value he has brought me over the years, and I'm glad to see him back at it. His openness and ability to find others that share the same qualities and expertise make this an integral part of my ongoing education as an advisor, husband, father and member of the communities I serve. The Simon Bowen episode, Zuh, we've done a few, completely changed the way I present in meetings. It's amazing how when you draw, you draw people in. Kyle Van Pelt episode provided tremendous insight into developing and creating an amazing client experience. Also led me to the Masters of Scale podcast with guests Brian Chesky from Airbnb, Robert Glazer episode talking about work-life integration versus work-life balance and how to empower your team. There are simply too many value adds and takeaways to list in one review without writing a book. Take a listen. You won't be disappointed. H from Indy. Well, if this is who I think it is, I think this is Harley. And Harley, I know we've had an opportunity to have a conversation. And one of the things I've always appreciated about you is you're always trying to level up and learn, be a lifelong learner here. We say it, triad, check your ego at the door. And definitely every chance I've had to, had to have a conversation, connect with you, you've always been that guy. So glad the podcast is an extension that's allowing you to do that virtually and listen in and challenge yourself and learn from others, just as I try to do when I facilitate the conversations. So hope you and the family are well. Good luck. Well, as I record this, we're getting ready to roll into 2024. So by the time it airs, we will may be there. But keep crushing it, my man, and hope you're well. Thanks for taking the time to leave a review. We'll check you on the uh, next episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations.